0: Today is Wednesday, May 18th. It is literally the morning after. Uh, yesterday was the primary election that has been building for so long. Uh, I know uh, Ed Humphreys announced for governor on May 15th, 2021. So uh, some of these campaigns have been going for a year and it is it is insane. I wish it wasn't like this. Um, I look at, say, the elections in Britain for parliament And they'll announce an election and have campaigning for a couple of weeks, and then it's done. Uh, I wish we could do that, but unfortunately, this is the way things are. Uh, Once, you know, one candidate decides to get an early start, and then the next candidate the next time has to start a little bit earlier than that. And now we have year-long campaigns for governor and all these other positions. (coughs) So I wanted to take a few minutes, take some time, and look at my endorsements and predictions and see how they matched up with reality. Uh, I think, you know, we, we had a lot of uh, disappointments yesterday, but we also had a lot of uh, things to be happy about. Uh, I want to take a look at those. Uh, but most of all, I want to have a, um, a really honest reckoning, and I'll probably flesh this out in... Uh, Written form here uh, over today and tomorrow, both for Gem State and also perhaps for Action Idaho. Uh, we need to look at what works, what doesn't, and um, how we can move forward. Uh, I think you know this year we had a lot of good conservative candidates, which meant there's a lot of donations that were spread thin. Um, we also need to really look at who um, you know what are the characteristics of the candidates who won. And how can we replicate that in future races? Uh, which, which of the establishment candidates were we able to defeat? Um, what characteristics do they have in common? Um, and that can give us a better idea of who we can target next time. Uh, I, th- I think sometimes, you know there's two uh, uh, two natural reactions the day after a primary like this. One is to point fingers, just say, no, it was his fault. It was her fault um, without really doing any analysis and that's not helpful. And then the other is to just forget it all and make the same mistakes again two or four years from now. So uh, I'm going to be brutally honest with myself. I'm going to look at where I might have you know, gotten things wrong, and yeah, I definitely got some of the races wrong. Um, obviously, I did not pick the races. I did not give my recommendations based on who I thought was going to win. I gave them based on who I thought would do the best job. So uh, without further ado, let's get started. I'm going to bring up my screen here. Isn't that fun? So on the left side of my screen, I have my endorsements, and on the right side, I have the results. I figure let's just uh, take a look at them and, and see uh, see what happened. Um, let's start with the statewide races. So governor, uh, I, I listed off the top four candidates here, uh, the incumbent Brad Little, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan, uh, Ed Humphreys, and Steve Bradshaw. I, early on, I endorsed Ed Humphreys. Uh, um, He's from my hometown of Eagle, and so I've known him for a lot longer than most people. And I really liked his ideas, and I thought he had a very coherent plan for what he could do with the state bureaucracy and the state budget. And so I went out on the limb of supporting him. And uh, the lieutenant governor also, you know, uh, started her race shortly after Mr. Humphreys. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a tough race. You know, it was pretty much the same thing the entire time. Let's scroll down and find it here. Um, governor Little was in the lead most of the time. Polling put uh, McGeehan uh, behind him and then Ed in a distant third. Um, both the lieutenant governor and Mr. Humphreys had very passionate supporters. And, unfortunately, I think there was a lot of finger pointing between them in the last few weeks of the race. Uh, both sides thought that the other was the real splitters and that the other should drop out and endorse them. Uh, in the end, and honestly, I'm kind of thankful for this, uh, Governor Little got more than 50% of the vote, which means that there are no, you know, it's not like in 2018 where Little got 37%, uh, Raoul Labrador got it around 32%, and Tommy Alquist had um, the remainder. And so you can legitimately look at Alquist in that case and say he split the vote. Of course, you never know what might have happened. Maybe all his voters were also little voters, but it looks very much like um, his presence in the race split it. I wish we had a runoff in Idaho. In fact, that's going to be something I'm going to be um, investigating here in the next few weeks as we get to the state convention. Is it feasible to start a push to change our laws to um, create a primary runoff? In that case, in, for example, 2018, uh, Brad Little and Raul Labrador would have gone on to a second round, and then we would have seen once and for all which one was the people's choice, because as it stood, we, we ended up with Governor Little, even though in 2018, uh, 63% of voters voted against him. But that is the way things are now. Uh, however, yesterday, Governor Little got almost 53% of the vote, which is obviously disappointing, However, it does maybe take away some of the more harsh rhetoric that was going to go on between the McKeon and Humphreys' camps. Because even when you combine their numbers, they did not, uh, they did not have enough to defeat um, the governor together. And for the sake of party, party unity, that is probably a good thing. Uh, but let's take a look at this. Uh, Janice McGinn in her lieutenant governor's race in 2018, she only got 28%, but it was a very crowded race, and that was enough to win. Uh, So she actually improved on those numbers, getting now 32% of the vote. And that was after the Trump endorsement, after a a statewide campaign. Uh, uh, McGinn did have some issues. Uh, She's not the best public speaker and sometimes struggled to articulate her principles, although I do believe she has deeply felt uh, deeply... Uh, rooted principles. And I uh, I appreciate that. Uh, also, there were the issues with her office's budget, which uh, were unfortunate. I don't think they were necessarily her fault. Uh, it was a lot, you know, the, the media joined together to sue her because she wouldn't release the names of people who had called in to share stories of CRT at public schools. Um, that was absurd. And then some judge ruled against her. Uh, but I think, I, th- I think that caused uh, some issues with the campaign it was enough to muddy the waters. And of course, uh, the governor, he, get, he, he had a $2 million war chest. He's got friends in high places. you know, All the big business lobbies, uh, they love him. He's their partner. And so they dumped tons of money into this race, and he was able to just carpet bomb the state with his uh, advertising. And it's, it's hard to fight against that. Uh, But one thing we need to do going forward is if we are going to have a conservative alternative for governor, especially if in four years, Scott Bedke, who I'll get to in just a moment, uh, decides to run for governor, which I'm 100% certain he will, uh, we're going to need to, well, we're going to need to pick a champion who is articulate, who has some name recognition, um, who runs a good campaign, who can... Easily sidestep controversy. You know, basically, someone like Raul Labrador, honestly, who just won for uh, his election for attorney general. And I'll come to that in a few minutes, too. Uh, I don't know if he is going to want to run again, um, but maybe in the next four years, we can find somebody who will be a conservative standard bearer. And we need to prepare that person and we need to unify against or around that person. Uh, Otherwise, we'll just keep shooting ourselves in the foot, shooting our own team, eating our own. Um, so, moving on to the lieutenant governor's race, I endorsed Priscilla Giddings very early. That was, pro- I think, that was my first endorsement on this, way back in January. And I thought she, uh, I thought she was great. She um, was a very articulate speaker, and uh, you could tell she was very passionate about the the issues. Uh, unfortunately, her campaign got mired down in some uh, some annoyances too. There was the, you know, her initial defense of due process for a fellow representative who was accused of rape, in which she, whether deliberately or not, uh, linked to an article that had the name of the accuser, which, because of the way uh, our society and media are structured now, that's a a faux pas, even though the Constitution says you have a right to confront your accuser. Uh, But that's another discussion. Um, It did hurt her in the press, and um, when that representative just a couple weeks ago was convicted of that rape, it gave her opponents an easy line. You know, she defended an, a, a convicted rapist, uh, and that obviously doesn't tell the whole story at all. But that was, you know, that that was the line they were able to take. Um, uh, Scott Baker gets fifty-two percent, about the same amount as the governor. He, you know, their voters are probably the same group of people. Meanwhile, Giddings got forty-two percent. Uh, so it was, um, it was closer, uh, I, think, uh, I think, getting ran a better campaign than any of the governor candidates. Um, and she has, a, she has a compelling story. She you know, is an Air Force uh, veteran, fighter pilot, and came to serve in the legislature because she realized with irony that the rights that she was being sent overseas to protect were being lost here at home. And I really hope she stays involved because I think she does give a good voice to these principles. Uh, she does have some young children at home, so I would not blame her in the slightest if she just, you know, ducked out of the public eye for a while, and that would probably be a healthy thing to do, uh, especially the way you know they attacked her um, early. You know, I was looking at the Idaho Dispatch. Uh, if you see it over here on the right side of the screen. Uh, see, when was this poll? This was April 9th to April 12th. So this was a little over a month ago. Uh, and the uh, with the governor campaign, they, they basically pegged it a little. They gave a little 60% in there. Uh, so he actually underperformed the polling. Um, we look at lieutenant governor and they had uh, Bedkey defeating Giddings 32 to 25 uh, with 40% undecided. And if you look at the final results, the undecideds basically split evenly, maybe a little bit of the advantage to Bedke. So uh, that was that was another tough hill to climb, and that one is probably the, the race I was most invested in. Uh, I really believe that stopping Scott Bedke at this point it was the key to stopping him four years from now. So we'll see how that goes, and we'll see, uh, once again, what we as a movement can do, uh, how we can prepare ourselves for the next race. <laughs> Uh, Attorney General. So, uh, once again, I, early on, I endorsed uh, Raul Labrador. He's also from my hometown of Eagle, and I've had the opportunity to get to know him over the past few years. Um, his, his wife was a PC in our uh, precinct, in our uh, district, and so uh, I, w- I would be able to occasionally chat with him uh, at those meetings. Um Obviously, he served in Congress uh, from 2010. He was part of the Tea Party wave and had to oust uh, some establishment Republicans before he even had a chance to fight the Democrats. He was a co-founder of the House Freedom Caucus, along with Jim Jordan and Ron DeSantis, Mark Meadows. Uh, He came back and he ran for governor in 2018, and he almost won. Um, And he should have won. The last four years would have been very different with a governor Labrador. And so he threw his hat in to be attorney general. And uh, the incumbent, uh, Lawrence Wasden really didn't like that. And you notice this, whether interacting with Wazden in person or watching him during the debates, he has a he has a sense that this office belongs to him, and that he seems offended that anyone would dare challenge him. You know, during the debate, he talked down to both uh, Raul Labrador and Art Macber as if they were children, as if they were, disobedient children. Uh, It's uh, It was pretty off-putting. And of course, he uh, has used his office. I mean, he's been in there for four terms, so he's a career politician. He um, reinterpreted the Constitution twice to help the governor. Uh, One, when he said that the Constitution doesn't really mean what it says it means, when it says that... uh, uh, the governor can only extend a state of emergency for 30 days and then another 30 days after that, and then after that, it goes to the legislature. He helped the governor reinterpret it to mean that he can keep us in a state of emergency indefinitely, and he did for two years. Uh, in which, you know, And of course, the state of emergency gave him a bunch of federal money to play with, and it gave him more authority over the way our state handled the COVID pandemic. And it ended up um, basically allowing the governor to rule unilaterally without the input from our elected uh, legislators. Also, when uh, Lieutenant Governor McGeon used um, the governor's absence to issue an executive order banning masks in schools, uh, Little came back and reinstated the masks, and then he got the Attorney General, Wasden, to, again, reinterpret the state constitution to say that the l- rule that says the lieutenant governor becomes the governor if the governor is out of state, well, it doesn't really count because the governor has cell phones and internet. And so he's always connected to our state, even if he's outside of our borders. And again, it's completely ignoring what the constitution actually says. Uh, but he was doing it because like uh, Eric Holder was to Barack Obama, Wasden was the governor's wingman. And so it is wonderful to see that, it's, there it is, Raul Labrador wins this race. 51.5% down to 38% for the incumbent. Uh, Mr. McElroy, uh he, he ran a, a hard race, um, and, and he's, a, he's a reader of mine, and I appreciate that. And I also appreciate the uh, you know, legal analysis and legal um, expertise he brings. Now, he attacked both candidates, saying that both Raul and Lawrence Wasden were um, Boise insiders, and that he was the true outsider. Um, and polls constant, consistently showed, you know, come over here to Attorney, attorney General, uh, this one doesn't even show it. Uh, let's see. There was another one here. Yeah, it said Labrador leads with 43, Waston has 34, and Macombur at six percent. And this was the latest poll. And when you go to the actual results, 52 to 38 to uh, 10 percent. That's about you know the same if the undecideds break in uh, even fashion. And that was my sense most of the time that uh um, was probably sitting at 10%. Uh he's uh he's brilliant, and um you know he definitely has a lot to add to our discussion of the uh of the Constitution and the law in Idaho. His daily uh, videos, just little short two-minute videos about uh the law and the constitution were uh, were really interesting uh for explaining our legal situation. And clearing up some misconceptions about it as well. Uh, but uh, I said this from the beginning, I think Labrador just had the name recognition from his time as congressman and his run as governor to, um, you know, to be able to overcome the incumbent. And that's an important thing. And I think that's where in the other races, lieutenant governor and governor, I think that's where we as conservatives went um, went awry. Um, especially, you know, Mr. Humphreys, he started with nothing. And, you know, getting 11% with nothing is, you know, an impressive and a testament to the campaign he ran. Uh, But that that's, you know, that was an enormous mountain to climb. And so getting someone like Labrador, who was already near the top of the mountain, uh, that was really helpful in this race. And so I'm very pleased to see that uh, he will immediately uh, improve the state government here. Um, He will hold the I think he will hold the governor accountable. He will do a better job of defending, for example, Idaho's heartbeat bill uh, that bans abortion after a heartbeat is detected. Uh, than Wasden was planning to do. Uh, well, I don't think Wasden was going to defend that law at all. So uh, hope, hope, I, I don't know that that case might be decided before uh, Raoul steps in, but whatever, you know, obviously if Roe is overturned, we're going to start passing laws in this state banning abortion, uh, and uh, we've already got our trigger law. So having Labrador in as attorney general is going to be very important in defending those laws, uh, both in our state and, you know, eventually in the Supreme Court. Let's see, what else? Uh, Secretary of State. This was a disappointment. So uh, we had Phil McGrain, the Ada County Clerk, who accepted uh, money from the Center for Tech and Civic Life. That's Mark Zuckerberg's $400 $400 million that he dumped into uh, national elections in 2020. And in other states, it's been proven that the CTCL folks put their thumbs on the scale. They had access to ballots when they shouldn't have, and they, you know, dumped... uh, uh, drop boxes uh, and get-out-the-vote uh, campaigns in heavily Democratic districts to run up the score. Now, both McGrain and his uh, deputy, uh, Trent Triple, who is now going to be our, cl- our new clerk, they maintain that there were no strings attached. So I just want to put that out there. However, uh, it did call into question, uh, it, my question, his judgment in accepting that money in the first place. Uh, he claims it was necessary to run an open election. Uh, both Dorothy Moon, uh, Representative, and State Senator Mary Sousa uh, criticized him for this, as well as his order that poll workers in 2020 wear masks. And that really turned away a lot of people who were you know, morally opposed to the mask mandate or had issues with masks and then couldn't, uh, couldn't partake. You know, and you know, McGrain's excuse is that um, not having them wear masks would have been disenfranchising to people who didn't want to be around people without masks. And that's, that's a specious argument. I'm not even going to bother with it. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, what I feared, if you go back to my initial write-up on this race, which was back in March, I profiled all three of them. And let's see, what did I say near the end? I hope that the two women do not split the vote and allow Mr. McGrain to coast into the position. Well, let's see what happened. Secretary of State McGrain, 43%. Dorothy Moon, 41%. Mary Sousa, 15%. Once again, conservatives are our own worst enemy. Had they united behind one candidate, I think we would have had this one. But instead, they split the vote. and now, Phil McGrain of Zuckerbuck's fame, is going to be our Secretary of State for the next four years, which means he will be in charge during our next presidential election. Uh, one of the things that frustrated me about this race was I felt that both Dorothy Moon and Mary Souza understood how the Democrats use positions like Secretary of State to infiltrate our government and take over our elections and then tweak them just a bunch, just a bit. And that's where you get states like Wisconsin and Georgia and Pennsylvania that should have Republican majorities but they don't because it's not about who uh, it's not the votes that count it's about who counts the votes and now you know mr. McGrain will be counting our votes um, if I can say something positive about him he uh, he has spearheaded a lot of good uh, technological improvements with the voting process he um, uh, the Ada county uh, elections website is one of one of the best in the country I think so uh, it, it's not all bad. And I, I will try and look for silver linings here. What do we have next? Superintendent of Public Instruction. I supported Brandon Durst. I felt he was the only one of the three candidates to really understand the extent of the critical race theory style of uh, philosophies in our schools, as well as the uh, degenerate sexual ideas that were being pushed on our students. And they are happening, even though our legislature banned the teaching of CRT. Uh, You know, a video came out that was highlighted by um, a couple different places, including Action Idaho, showing that uh, it is still happening. And in fact, teachers and administrators are bragging about how they're getting around these rules against these things. Uh, The incumbent Sherry Ibarra sees nothing wrong. Uh, Debbie Critchfield, she, you know, says that it's all just a, you know, made up stuff to generate controversy. Brandon Durst, the former Democratic state senator, is the only one to say, look, these are things in our schools that are bad, and we need to fix them. And so it is unfortunate then, if I can find that race, that Debbie Critchfield hung hung on to win. Uh, She got 39%, Durst got 33%, almost 34%, and Sherry Ibarra got uh, 26%. Um, The silver lining from this race is that that is a fantastic repudiation of the incumbent, uh, Sherry Ibarra ran for re-election, uh, quoting Abraham Lincoln on her campaign page, saying we shouldn't, or no, no, it was uh, when, she, uh, when she spoke to the Ada County Republican Party, she, she quoted Abraham Lincoln, allegedly, saying that we shouldn't change horses midstream. Uh, but the voters have resoundingly said that it's time for a change. Uh, they don't like the way she's been running the public schools. And so that is a silver lining here. Uh, she got third place in this three way race. A um, couple other races, uh, controller and treasurer, they were unopposed. You had Julie Ellsworth, um, Brandon Wolf, they'll uh, move on to the general. I don't remember if uh, they're even op- uh, opposed in the general, probably. Uh, I don't know Julie Ellsworth at all. Um, I did briefly meet Brandon Wolf and i've been told by people i trust that he's a he's a great guy upstanding transparent and does great things for the uh uh, keeping transparency in the state books so uh, good for them and uh yeah so that is the statewide races what can we learn as a party uh we need we need unity you know this idea of running two or three conservative candidates against the establishment is not going to work it uh, just splits the vote uh But the problem with politics is ego. Everybody thinks they're the guy or the girl. They think they're the one to to win this, and they want the other person to drop out. And so I think we as a a movement need unity and we need focus. Um, We need to have a coherent message, a consistent message. Uh, Something that uh, Raul Labrador said recently is uh, he'd love to see some sort of you know, super PAC for conservatives that doesn't just uh, throw money generally, but has a very focused and targeted look at state and local races. Uh, I think he was thinking more of local races, actually, but uh, I think that would be important for statewide races as well. Now, we need to look at why McGeehan and uh, Humphreys and Giddings and Durst uh, and Moon and Sousa lost. Uh, What was the messaging? when it came to the lieutenant governor's race, uh, Scott he was able to send out these mailers that were outrageous. They were claiming that uh, Priscilla Giddings was as liberal on policing as uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Nancy Pelosi. And he photoshopped a picture of her with the two of them. It, it was absurd, but if you're an uninformed voter and you get that in the mail, um, you might be moved by it. And so we need stronger messaging, which means we need more money. And a consistent coherent message, Uh, it's it's all going around in circles, but we need to do better going forward. And that's something we really need to, you know, as a conservative movement, we need to sit down and look hard at. Uh, So let's go to the statewide races or the, excuse me, the county races. Uh, Where to start? Well, assessor is at the top. So let's find assessor. I endorsed Ron DeRoost. He is the Deputy Assessor currently, and so I felt he would be able to step right into the job. Uh, Unfortunately, he ended up in third place. Uh, Rebecca Arnold took first with 35%. Uh, um, She's been in real estate, and she was on the Ada Ada County Highway District Board for a while as well, and so she has experience running for these positions. And You know, I'd be interested in seeing exactly how she ran her campaign, um, how much money she spent on things. I'll dig into that later to see exactly how she won this because assessor is such a, it's such a technical job. Nobody really knows exactly what the assessor does until you sit down and read about it or talk to somebody. So how you decide this is, um, it would be interesting to see. And the fact that Dave Litster got 31% and Brad Bolachek got 13%, I would have, you know, They're both very similar. They both come from corporate backgrounds. Um, They're both tall, handsome men. So uh, why Litster got a lot more votes, 10,000 more votes than Bulacic, I'm not sure. Uh, I need to sit down and look at, see and see exactly how his, uh, how his campaign was different. Where did he spend his money? How many signs did he put up? Did he do TV ads, radio ads, internet ads? Um, But uh, it is a, it is a shame that uh, Ronda Roos did not prevail. However, he is still the deputy assessor, and so I hope that Rebecca Arnold will have the wisdom to keep him around and to not hold any grudges for running for this position, and in fact, lean on his wisdom, his experience in running this department. Uh, moving on, Commissioner District Two. Well, that was uh, Rodbeck. He's unopposed. He'll be facing uh, former Eagle Mayor Stan Ridgway, uh, who is the Democrat in the race next uh, next November. And, you know, keeping the Ada County Commission Republican is an important thing. We saw what happens when the commission becomes Democrat. They enforce mask mandates through the Central District Board of Health. They cancel the fair. Um, so, yeah, keep, keep keeping it red, I think, is a, is a good idea. So we'll have to support Mr. Beck. And then in District 3, I supported Don Retzloff. It took me a long time to come figure this race out because I really wanted to find the differences between the candidates. And Sharon's a former, uh, has been on the uh, board of commissioners before. And Tom Bailey had a long career uh, going back to the Reagan administration, uh, as well as serving, serving in the state house and serving as the head of the, I want to say the Farm Bureau. And he, you know, I, I felt that his campaign was, you know, he, he didn't really have any specific ideas. He just wanted to bring his experience to the Uh, Board of Commissioners and share his experience with um, the other two. And I didn't think that was going to resonate with people, but something must have because Tom Daly won this race with 38%. And so I want to, uh, I don't know if he reads me or listens to me, but if so, I want to apologize for implying that he was uh, old because even though he is obviously um, up there in years, he knew how to win this. Uh, he didn't spend much money on advertising. I saw very few signs of his, uh, but somehow he pulled it off. I don't know if it was name recognition or if he had enough friends that he's able to get out there and network. Now, I'd be very interested in sitting down to see exactly how he did this. When I looked at finances, um, he only had two individual donors and Sharon Olman only had one, whereas Don Redzloff had 62. And that made me think that she had a really big groundswell of grassroots support. But instead... Uh, she ends up taking th- a distant third, and Daly ends up winning. So, I I completely mis uh, misjudged this race, and I w- I will begin to try and figure out why. That's that's part of uh part of what you do after elections. Um, you try and figure out what went right, what went wrong, and what you can learn. And I think I have some things to learn about this race. In any case, I hope uh, Mr. Daly has uh you know, is able to, to carry this through and win in the general. He's going to be facing a uh, a young Democrat who I don't know anything about, but hopefully he wins so that we can keep uh, make this a sweep of the Ada County commissioners. Uh, what's next? County clerk, Trent Triple was unopposed. Um, coroner, Rich Riffle and Sheree Durst. Uh, where's coroner? Coroner. Uh, so this one was actually pretty close to Sheree Durst is the wife of Brandon Durst, who was running for state superintendent. And I suspect that she filed uh, out of worry that no Republicans would be in the race. Uh, For a long time, no Republicans had even announced any intention of running for this position. So um, I I haven't spoken to her directly, so this might not be accurate, but that's my sense. Uh, She did not do much campaigning. She was focused on helping her husband in his campaign, which was probably the more important thing to do. Uh, And Rich Riffle, on the other hand, he comes from Oregon, and he has experience in medical examining and law enforcement, and he also sat on a town council. So I thought he had a good uh, wide range of experience, and he was campaigning, and that campaigning seems to have made a difference. Um, You you figure if you have two people that nobody knows uh, on a ballot, and all else being equal, they're going to get about this 50%, right? And so if, in this case, Riffle wins by, looks like, 2,500 votes. So all the campaigning he did managed to raise his profile just enough that he wins the race. And that's how you've got to do it. So I did, uh, I guess I did call that one, but that one wasn't, I don't think that was a hard one. Uh, This one, this one I took a little flag for, Sheriff, eight County Sheriff. Um, If you go back and read my piece from just yesterday morning, I looked at the sheriff's race, um, and it was the one I put off the longest. I put it off literally until the morning of the election because I like both men. I think Sheriff Clifford has done a great job. He did a great job as Eagle police chief. Uh, He's done a great job as sheriff so far. Uh, I came to the conclusion after writing it out, after going through the writing process, that um, Doug Traubel is somebody we need in public uh, in the discourse to continue preaching, uh, natural law and constitutional rights and, um, you know, the sovereignty of the States and individuals. Uh, and so I, I I thought it was important that he be in this conversation and I thought being, you know, having that position as sheriff would give him room to really show that. Uh, but I, I thought we could not go wrong in this race. Um, as I said, Sheriff Clifford's done a great job. Uh, and it looks like people were, uh, You know, we're impressed with the job he's done. If you look over here, Sheriff Clifford wins 65 to 34. So almost two to one. And yeah, that's fine. Um, I think what that shows is that people think that the Ada County Sheriff's Department is already operating fairly well and that it doesn't need to be shaken up at this time. And hopefully that will be proven true. I hope that Sheriff Clifford continues to uh, run it in a, you you know, in a Pleasant way, a good way, and I think he will. Um, one of the things that he really he really took the most pride in was how the Ada County sheriffs, in their interactions with the public, are it's almost always positive. You know, we don't have this view of our uh, sheriff's department as this, uh, you know, either you know we don't have a bad view of them. They're not a you know militarized police force that's cracking skulls and neither are they a laid-back force that's allowing criminals to run rampant. Uh, they're doing their jobs. They're protecting public safety and uh, protecting individual rights as well. And so I don't have any complaints about the Sheriff's Department itself, and um, I congratulate Sheriff Clifford and hope he does, uh, continues doing a great job. Uh, and I, As for Doug Trouble, I hope he continues uh, engaging with the public somehow. Uh, he has a lot of great ideas and he needs to continue to get those ideas out into the discussion, into the marketplace of ideas. Uh, I'm not sure how he'll do that going forward, but um, personally, I look forward to sitting down, sitting down with him soon and uh, just really digging into his philosophy and how he sees the next few years of our um, of our society playing out. Oh, let's see. Treasurer Beth Mann. Um She got uh, all the votes because she is unopposed, and I believe she's unopposed in the general as well. And from what I can tell, she's done a fine job, so that's great. Now, if you look here, you can see, look, uh, yeah, up here, you see that um, somehow Beth Mon got two more votes than Trent Triple, even though they're both unopposed. I have no idea what that means. It's just one of those things that I notice. All right, so... Uh, I haven't been counting how many I got right and how many I missed, but um, uh, I feel like I had a good sense of most of the races, Um, the county commissioner's race notwithstanding. Uh, But let's go into the legislative races. uh, House seat 10A. Um, Mike Moyle is the current majority leader. Let's find it over here. Mike Moyle is the current majority leader. And he uh, he was redistricted out of fourteen, which was my district, and he's now in District Ten. Um, and he's he's all right. He is pretty blunt. He, you know, really annoys some of the right people in Boise, including the corporate media. The Idaho Statesman really hates him, which is always a, a mark in his favor. Uh, I think you know he he is known as someone who will you know kind of play the game, which. He'll come and tell us how he's fighting the establishment, and then he'll go into the Capitol and work with the establishment. But, you know, you could make the case that that is how you have to play the game. But he was challenged by Rachel Hazlip, a young woman that I I only met once, uh, but she seems really sharp. And he ends up winning 56 to 44 uh, by about just over 1,000 votes. And honestly, that's, uh, you know, that's, I think that's fine. Um, I didn't come down hard on either one there. And us, I think Moyle will now probably be Speaker of the House, which will be a dramatic improvement over Scott Bedke. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll hold him to that. Um, but having a you know somebody come out of nowhere and challenge him and take almost 4,000 votes, hopefully that just keeps him honest. Um, as I said in the, the no coronations piece a few months ago, I think it's important that all uh, candidates, all incumbents, get a challenge so that uh, they're just reminded. They're forced to go back and, you know, think through the issues. They're forced to go back and talk to their constituents. You know, no free rides. And I think, um, you know, Rachel did a great job of, at the very least, keeping uh, keeping Moyle honest. And I hope we can t- continue to do that. Uh, sorry about that. It's uh... Mute my email tab over here on the other screen. Uh, let's see. Uh, House seat B, I did not know anything about the challengers to Bruce Scogg. I met Bruce Scogg once and he seemed like a great guy. Uh, and I've heard he's very conservative and the voters seem to agree he won with, uh, it's, sorry, it's under me, uh, won with uh, almost 75%. So, you know, that, that, that that's a good endorsement. Uh, The Senate seat, this was a big one, and this is what I called the easiest choice in the Treasure Valley. Tammy Nichols is literally a rock star. She is one of the most solid conservative candidates, one one of the solid conservative representatives, and she's trying to go to the Senate to fix the Senate because, as we all know, the Senate is much less conservative than the House. The House keeps sending them these great bills, and the Senate just kills them. It's a source of frustration for the last two years, and more actually, but two years is when I've been engaged. And so I am pleased to say that Representative Nichols won this race. Uh, just, uh, just the other day, the day before the election, I was at the Reagan Club meeting uh, out in Star. And uh, Tammy Nichols got to speak. She was actually an invited speaker, so she got uh, several minutes to talk, and she gave a great speech. And then her challenger, Scott Brock, came up and spoke as just, you know, you can sign up to speak if you're not on the agenda. And the contrast between the two could not have been more clearer. Uh, Nichols was positive and determined and passionate, and you could tell she had really thought through these issues, and she really cared about these issues. Whereas Scott Brock, he went through a litany, you know, indirectly accusing uh, Nichols of being an extremist and a horrible person. And he he just seemed unpleasant. And obviously that race was marred with some issues. He had put out some literature claiming that Nichols had accepted bribes in exchange for a vote. Uh, He later claimed that that was not his literature, even though it was apparently at his table that he was sitting at. And then he um, had apparently allegedly claimed an endorsement that he didn't have and used a logo of an organization that did not endorse him. And so there were all sorts of issues with that, and I am so pleased that Tammy Nichols won this race. And in fact, she won going away. Uh, looks like she won by fifteen hundred votes out of um, out of about nine thousand cast. So that's that's a solid victory, and she will immediately improve the Senate. Uh, that's very exciting. That's if nothing else, that that race is just uh, just makes everything okay. I'm looking forward to seeing what she does in the Senate. All right, let's come to District 14. This is my district, and this is where, you know, I'm going to have to eat the most crow because I went 0 for 3 in my district, in my own district. Now, I did go out on some limbs. Uh, two of the races I endorsed in this district, I feel like I went out a bit, um, you know, took the path less traveled. And so I'll, I'll, I'll own that. And so so let's see. Uh, district 14, seat A. This was the open seat. Uh, find it there. So District 14, seat A was open uh, because of redistricting. This was uh, Mike Moyle's old seat. And so four people put their hats into the ring. You had Ted Hill. He just retired from the Navy as an aviator, and he spent 38 years in the Navy, which is astonishing. Uh, Caleb Hubery worked with um, uh, Senator Thane up in Emmett. Tracy Kalish is a you know, PC and state committee woman for the Ada County Republican Party, and she's also a local political activist here in Eagle. And Mike Olson is a newcomer. He uh, uh, has his uh, law degree, and he worked for several big, uh, large corporations, and he came home to Idaho and now works with his family business uh, that does hearing aids as in-house counsel. And so this is one of those where I sat down for, uh, for tea with all four candidates. And I really got to know them and I like them all. And it was very difficult for me to pick. And so in the end, I decided to write a piece where I told you why you should vote for each of the candidates in turn. I told you, you know, why you should vote for Ted Hill, why you should vote for Caleb Puberty, why you should vote for Tracy Kalish, Tracy Kalish, why you should vote for Mike Olson. And so I wanted people to be able to take away from that something positive about each one so that when, you know, perhaps one of those four just really struck a nerve with you. And you said, okay, this is the one for me, because I I felt that all four of them are going to be good representatives, whichever one wins. And then in the end, I came down for myself on the side of Mike Olson. He's he's young and new to the process, but I thought he would provide a a spark of energy as well as um, some really sharp analysis of tax policy and regulatory policy, which I think we need. Um, However, in the end, uh, Ted Hill won this race Pretty solidly by about fifteen hundred votes uh, over Tracy Kalish in second place. And looking around, if if I had to have had made a prediction before the race, I probably would have said that 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 would happen. He's got a compelling story. Thirty eight years in the Navy. Uh, he's um, you know he's a he's a great speaker, and you know when he speaks, you can really hear his passion for um, American values and the Constitution and our way of life. Uh, one of the reasons I went with Olson is because I felt he had very specific ideas about some of the things he could accomplish in the legislature. Whereas I think Ted Hill has more, uh, more general ideas. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think his plan is to go in and, you know, he, he, he's going to be excelling, I think, at building coalitions with other legislators to get things done, which, which is important. Um, you know, you can have the best ideas in the world. And when you get to the legislature, if you can't work with your fellow uh, representatives and senators, you're not actually going to get anything done. Um, so having somebody with uh, experience in leadership like Ted Hill has is going to be valuable. So I do look forward to what he can do in this race. Um, let see, let's look at how seat B. Oh, and not sure, not sure how much I should uh, talk more about the seat A race. I guess I do just want to mention, um, I do agree with Tracy Kalish's uh, positions. Um, I think she's, of all the candidates, she's the most aware of things like ESG and um, the threat that that poses to our liberties. Uh, I think she felt, and this is just me speculating, I, 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 I think she felt like she was running behind Ted Hill because she did go negative at the end of the campaign. And that really, I think that really turned a lot of people off. There's already, there's already some pre-existing bad blood between various people here in Eagle. And so, you know, there were some people predisposed to oppose her. And then going negative at the end, um, attacking Ted Hill for some of his endorsements, some of the people he's worked with, uh, some of the people who have donated to his campaign. I think that probably backfired, um, probably turned off more people than it brought in. And so that's a shame, but I can understand, you know, if you feel like you're in second place and you need to make up some ground, uh, that, you know, that's not necessarily a bad strategy, but it often backfires. Uh, let's go to house seat B. And this, this is my biggest misstep. Um, this and the county commission are my biggest, uh, mistakes. I sat down and looked closely at this race and came away thinking that, um, not only did I want de Mordat to win a fourth term, um, because as I said, I think she's one of our most effective legislators, and I've uh, enjoyed working with her in the past, and I've watched her push uh, legislation through both the Republican Party and the House. Um, I thought she was going to win. Um, I, th- I looked at the donations, I looked at the, uh, you know, just the engagement out there, and uh, I thought she would a- be able to do this. But uh, you know, Josh Tanner, he. Uh, he ends up winning by 1300 votes. And that's, that's impressive. And like I said, I I sat down with Mr. Tanner as well, and I got to hear his perspective. And I, you know, I don't disagree with him on anything major. And he, you know, to his credit, he was confident from day one that he was going to win this. He said that he talked to enough people and everyone he spoke with was willing to vote for him. Uh, he got some donations from people who were previously out, completely out of politics. Uh, and so he was uh, he was confident that he had the support of the people and I you know I'll admit I was skeptical but uh, you know he never doubted it for a second and he has been proven correct so I'll own that. Uh, his, one of his biggest complaints about representative de Mordaunt was that she was not responsive to her constituents and uh, as I said in my piece, I don't see that uh, because she's always been very responsive to me and uh, she says that she you know, Does a lot of, um, spends a lot of time answering emails and uh, engaging with people. But I did hear from others that that was an issue. And so, whatever the truth of that is, um, it's clear that Tanner tapped into a frustration that people had. And he was able to uh, parlay that into a victory. And so, now we have um, our slate of Republicans here in District 14 is Ted Hill, uh, Josh Tanner, and then the Senate race is Scott Grow. Uh, let's find it. There it is, up there. So in this one, I, you know, both Scott Grow and Stephen Thane were incumbent senators uh, because of redistricting. They were pitted against each other, and so only one could win. And I said, well, that might be a good thing because we're going to trade one of them for Tammy Nichols. And that is great. Uh, we got to pick which one we're going to keep. And Scott Grove's focus is on mainly on finance and taxes. Uh, um, Stephen Thane's is on education. And the reason I ended up coming down on the side of Thane in my endorsement was just because I felt that he had a perspective regarding the role of the family and natural rights and limited government, a, a very strong philosophical foundation that I really wanted to keep in the legislature, keep in the Senate. But uh, it was a tough hill to climb. He was coming from Emmett, and Grow was from Eagle, so Scott Grow had the name recognition. Um, and I think Scott Grow is a more natural campaigner. Uh, um, he seems more comfortable when he's up uh, speaking to um, uh, speaking in front of people, and perhaps that helped when he's going out and uh, trying to win some new voters. Uh, and so Scott Grow ends up winning this race by about a thousand votes out of, looks like, 1,100, uh, out of about 1,300 cast. Uh, Katie Donahue, who didn't campaign at all, and her entire platform appears to be uh, legalization of cannabis for medical purposes, uh, she got 1,500 votes. So you could see that as a protest vote against both of the incumbents, which I guess you know, you're know you always going to have people who will vote against the incumbents for whatever reason. So Scott Grow is going to be our senator. He will move on to the general and will win. And so that means, you know, Ted Hill, Josh Tanner, and Scott Grow are our, um, they will be our delegation from district 14. One humorous aside is that all three men are bald. I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened in Idaho history. I'd have to look back through the archives, but as uh, somebody who you know, doesn't have much hair myself, I would say that, um, I am pleased to see such representation for my people. But in any case, uh, even though I ended up, you know, picking picking wrongly on all three of those, I can't uh, I can't complain about this slate of delegates. I think they're all going to be strong representatives and the senator, and I look forward to um, watching what they can do in the Capitol in the next two years. Uh, that brings us to District 15. Just two more districts um, as I go through my my Mayakopel tour. Uh, House C Day was unopposed. House C B was unopposed senate so fred martin i've been complaining about fred martin in the pages of this newsletter since almost the day it began he was um i mentioned way back in january when i first started writing how he as the chairman of the senate health and welfare committee was responsible for killing several good medical freedom bills and i also mentioned how he sits on the state immunization board he takes lots of money from big pharma and he doesn't seem to see the reason for any skepticism about vaccines. I, I mentioned in those pieces how he responded to concerns from constituents about the forced vaccines uh, that various employers were mandating, and his position was, why wouldn't you get the vaccine? It, it, it's necessary to save us all. And, and I felt that was a really narrow viewpoint. And, I mean, a generous way of looking at it is that he simply believes that uh, he he trusts the medical establishment to always do what's best for us, which is naive. A cynical viewpoint would be that he is paid by the medical establishment to say these things. But either way, I have awesome news because Cody Galloway, who just won her seat as a representative two years ago in District 15, taking it from the Democrats... Uh, Cody Galloway has defeated Fred Martin, the incumbent, the chair of the Senate Health and Welfare Committee. 53% to 41%. She wins by 800 votes out of, all this math, 1,464, out of about 7,000 cast. So that's a fairly close race, but uh, she held on and won. And that is good news. Assuming she can go on and win in the general election, that will very much improve our Senate. With both Tammy Nichols and Cody Galloway coming in from the House to the Senate, um, things are a little better. In fact, uh, Dustin Hurst over at the Idaho Freedom Foundation estimates that 13 good conservative senators won their races over, the, over the, either the incumbents or the establishment picks. And that is great. We may see some big changes in the Senate. That's about half of the Republican caucus, uh, which means we could even see a change in leadership. Um, moving on to District 20, speaking of the leadership of the Senate, if Rosa Martinez was challenging Chuck Winder, the Senate pro Temp, the most powerful uh, Republican in the Senate, and although he held on, she gave him a run for his money. Uh, if you look here, uh, he got about 4,400 votes to her 37, so he only won by about 700 votes. That's less than the margin between Galloway and Martin. And so again, just like with... Um, you know, some of these other races, just like with Moyle and Rachel Hayslip, hopefully this uh, maybe puts the fear of God into him and reminds him that he's supposed to be a Republican and that he's got conservative voters who might be tempted to remove him next time if he doesn't shape up. So that's good. And that's why we need people to run these races. Uh, In the state representative positions in 20, um, they didn't fare quite as well. Uh, Gloria Irwin lost by almost 2,000 votes to incumbent Joe Palmer, and Mike Hahn lost by 1,200 to James Holtzclaw. Uh, as I said in my piece right Oh, yeah, I guess right right over there, um, Holtzclaw's not the worst, um, but I think Mike Hahn would have been an improvement. He's really focused on issues such as the, you know, obscenity in libraries and uh, in public schools, and it would have been good to have his voice in there, but in any case, he will continue to be active in the discussion going forward, I'm sure. So that is it for the races that I um, I predicted. I, I didn't predict all of them, but like I said, it wasn't necessarily about picking who was going to win or who I thought was going to win. It was picking who, just from my perspective, my own biases, w- would be the best representative. And I'm, you know, at least at the county and Uh, at least at the county and um, local level. I'm not disappointed. I'm not disappointed with anybody in District 14. I think they'll all do a great job. Uh, uh, It's a shame that uh, Representative DeMordant is not going to be in the legislature anymore. I think she's been one of our most effective voices, so hopefully she will continue being that voice, just in a different place, Uh, but I would not blame her if she took some time off to spend with her family. Um, So yeah, Going forward, I think we're going to be okay. Some of the big statewide races, we need to really take stock of how we lost them and what we can do better next time. The local races, I think we did okay. The Senate's going to be a lot better, assuming we can push these good conservative Republicans across the finish line in November. Before I go, I just wanted to look at a few more races here, and that is PC races, just you know, just to see what's uh, some of the interesting things that are going on. Uh, first, we have uh, pricing 1408 in District 14. Uh, it, once again, it pitted two incumbents against each other, and the uh, district chair of District 14 was Mike Tomlin, and he was challenged by Steve Bender, who was the Ada County Treasurer. So both of them had high positions in the in the party, and I consider both of them my friends, and so I didn't, you know, I didn't make any statements about this race. And it's interesting to see that uh, Mr. Bender has won this one, and so. Um, just want to say that I appreciate everything that Mike Tomlin has done. He's been constantly a voice of reason and uh, calmness and always for unity in our party. And I have always appreciated that. Uh, my, you know, One of the first times I met him, I've, I think I've told the story of how I first got involved by just coming to the 2020 District 14 reorganization meeting. I saw it on a calendar on the website and just showed up because nobody was answering my emails. And it was at that meeting that uh, Mike Tomlin was elected as the District 14 chair. And it was at that meeting that I got to be signed up to be an alternate delegate at the convention. So I showed up and there was a snafu with my paperwork. Uh, Apparently someone at the state level, I'm pretty sure, had messed something up. And so they didn't have my name in there. And and, and because of the way party rules work, you couldn't just say, oh, okay, well, I'll take your word for it. No, you had to go through and... Actually, I had to go stand before the Rules Committee and explain why I was there and where the mistake had happened. And Mike Tomlin was very patient and helpful, and he took, you know, his time to make sure that that got fixed. And that was a you know fantastic first impression for me. And so I appreciate everything he's done as District 14 chair, and I hope that he will continue being involved uh, one way or the other. Um, can, I, can I shrink this so we just see one at a time. Yeah, there. How about that? Uh, over in 1408, this is an interesting one. Um, Victor Miller is the sitting Ada County chairman, and he lost his uh, race for PC in 1414. This is uh, the Two Rivers neighborhood. It's one of the most wealthy neighborhoods in all of Eagle. And so it's you know, almost a foreign country to somebody like me. comes from more Humble background, but uh, this was a this was a pretty intense race. They all had signs everywhere, and um, Congressman Russ Fulcher actually uh, made an endorsement of Victor. And, uh, but it looks like uh, Jeff Russell was able to get out and you know just get the support of all his neighbors, and that's something to keep in mind. That no matter how high you get, you still got uh, you still come from your neighborhood, your precinct. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if. Victor continues to, you know, look to um, be reelected as county chair. There's nothing in the rule that says you have to be a PC, so he can uh, he can do that, and he might. Uh, he, he is a bit of a polarizing figure, I've noticed. Uh, on the one hand, he's done a great job of revitalizing the Ada County Party, which was in dire straits before I started, before I came in. So I can't really speak to it, just from what I've heard from other people. It was uh, not involved. It was not fundraising. It was poorly organized. Um, Rarely had a quorum at their meetings. And Victor has changed that. Uh, We're now bringing in tons of money. We have lots of PCs who are involved. And uh, on the other hand, there are some who are frustrated with what they say is the way that he's gone about that, um, running roughshod over some of the ways that things have been done in the past, running roughshod over the... um, uh, you know, some of the principles that they believe that this is, uh, the you know, the way it should be organized. Um, I'm not going to get into that because really, I kind of see both sides. But at the same time, I'm still fairly new here. I just got elected PC yesterday. So I will let the chips fall as they may. And just tell you about it when it comes up. In the meantime, one last PC race, and that is my own. I filed for PC in March after being an alternate PC for two years and I'm pleased to say that I have won that race. Uh, Russell Fair, he's a good guy. I got to meet him, and I hope he will continue to be involved. Um, But I am excited to be an official Pricing Committee man going forward. I will be at the reorganization meetings casting my votes for the first time, and I'm looking forward to taking a more active role in the party here. Uh, These elections yesterday show that we've got some victories, but we have a long way to go before really getting to the point where we can say that we are keeping Idaho Idaho. But you will see that from me as well. Uh, If you go to gemstate.substack.com, you can see all my latest writings. And you can subscribe. If you are feeling so generous, you can get a paid subscription and continue to support my work. Uh, That would be wonderful and humbling. In the future, I'm going to look at some of the issues facing Eagle my hometown. I will look at some of the uh, issues facing our state and our nation, such as the continued fight against ESG and social justice and CRT and all those other acronyms that are so confusing. And I'm also looking forward to attending the reorganization meetings, going to the state convention, telling you about what's going on there. So um, yeah, the it's been an intense primary. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed getting out there and meeting the candidates and bringing that information to you. And I've really, really been excited about the feedback I've gotten. I think people appreciate my voice out there. I've really tried to be even-handed and objective and fair to everybody. And I think people really, uh, really like that. And so I will continue trying to do that. So that has been my election postmortem. I will probably have a written piece for that in the next day or two. Uh, but in the meantime, I appreciate you watching. I appreciate your support. I appreciate all the shares and the likes and the comments and the subscriptions. Uh, yeah, don't uh, don't let any defeats get you down because our battle is just getting started and it will always continue. And so we can't uh, can't can't be down. Cheer up! No matter what happens, life goes on. Summer is just starting. We've got our farmer's markets and our fun days and Independence Day celebrations, Memorial Day, uh, uh, it's coming up. Uh, so yeah, let's get out there and get involved in our communities. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I will talk to you again soon. Take care.